Welcome to Transformation Intensive, Movement One, Week Five, The Disorder of Sin in the World. And by the very title, you can tell we're uh, making a little bit of a shift at some level. And uh, as you've been spending this last week praying with your desires, I thought it would be good as we make this shift to just start with one of the passages that we spent a little time with this week that actually reminded me that that Jesus' desire for us is actually a hundredfold times more powerful than any desire that we hold. And so even as we spend time with our desires and then also make this shift into really sitting with the sin of the world, I thought it was appropriate just to be reminded of Jesus' desire for us. And so this passage from Ephesians 2, it will be familiar if you were able to spend time with it this week. It says, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in the transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Amen. My name's Adam, uh, and I'm going to be walking you through a guided examine. So uh, whatever uh, will help you focus, um, whether that's putting everything down, putting everything away, or maybe pulling out your journal if, uh, you know, I find... For me, taking some notes just helps me keep my mind engaged and focused. Um, whatever will help you sort of do that, uh, take a minute and just prepare uh, your heart and mind. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Become present to God and be aware of God's loving gaze on you. In gratitude, notice one or two things, great 
small, for which you're grateful. With those things in mind, express your gratitude to God. Come, Holy Spirit, reveal my thoughts. What were my strongest thoughts and opinions today? What attitudes did I carry with me into my work and my relationships? How did I perceive myself? People. Places. And events of today. What conclusions did I come to? If there's a strong or influential thought, take a moment to ponder that. Did it come from a place of spiritual freedom? Does it feel like a place of spiritual bondage? Did it lead me to greater faith, hope, and love? Did it lead me away from those things? For the thoughts I mulled over today, which led me away from God, I ask forgiveness.
for the graces I received and reflected on today. I give thanks. Come, Holy Spirit, remind me of words I have spoken today. With the light you give me, I will ponder what I have said and the sources of my words. Show me words today that I spoke that caused harm to others. Show me when I spoke out of my hurt or my pride or my fear. What words did I speak today that helped others grow in faith, hope, and love? When did I speak important truth today? Come, Holy Spirit, help me to remember my actions today. I want to see myself from the perspective of my all-loving and holy God.
When today did I act in ways that were self-serving or self-indulgent? As I notice, I repent, and I ask for God's forgiveness freely given to me in Christ. When were my actions loving and kind, sacrificial, generous? When did I bring encouragement or joy to others today? When did I serve others today? Take a moment. Take a moment to enjoy God's delight in your thoughts, in your words, and in your deeds of today. Pause to receive God's forgiveness and cleansing. Now look to tomorrow, anticipating what tomorrow will hold, what thoughts or attitudes do I desire as a gift of grace? What do I desire to say tomorrow? Who do I desire to say it to? What do I desire to do tomorrow? Listen for God's voice. We'll conclude saying the Lord's Prayer together. Let me introduce the week of prayer that's ahead for us. We are on page 34 in your Transformation Intensive Notebook, Movement 1, Week 5, The Disorder of Sin in the World. 
I'll read you the first paragraph here. Uh, Most of us work hard to protect ourselves and those we love from the darkness that surrounds us. We learn to block it out. This week, we are invited to open our hearts and to notice the sin and suffering that is happening in our community, our nation, and the world. We will deliberately turn our attention outward to see how the world around us has profoundly rebelled against God's goodness and love. So this is an interesting turn. Last week, we were focused inward, attentive to our own desires, our God-given desires, our disordered desires. It was, it was more of an inwardly focused week. Uh, this week, we are focusing outward, similar way that we focused outward when we were looking at creation, only this time, our outward focus has a different, um, a different goal. Uh, first of all, our focus is on the people all around us. If we start talking about suffering and sin, we will, of course, be focused on the people around us. And this is another way to just exercise those muscles to turn our attention from the self to the other. Second, we're focusing on what God might desire. So last week we were focusing on what we desired. Now we're starting to try to open ourselves to, uh, to feel something of what God might desire, especially in light of the suffering and sin and injustice that we see all around us. So it's a, a beginning point for us to grow in our capacity for empathy with God. Um, empathy with God is kind of a big idea, very simple, um, but also one that I think you will find critically important when we're starting to talk about how do we change not just what we think about God in the world, but what we feel. So we're really focusing not so much on facts as in as much as we are on our affective experience of the world. Um, Affective, A-F-F-E-C-T-I-V-E, means something which concerns the feelings and the emotions. So when we're talking about the principle and foundation, we, we're not looking for just an abstract, uh, Thomistic understanding of the telos of the world. Um, we want to feel this sense of critical awareness of God's desires in the world and how our feelings uh, line up with that. Uh, we often, I think, are concerned that our feelings maybe are out of sync with what we believe And this empathy with God is a time to start allowing the Holy Spirit to work on us in such a way as to bring our feelings more in sync with how how God is feeling. So the graces that we're seeking this week, I think, sum up where we're going. Uh, The grace to be moved, like Jesus was moved by compassion, by the sin and suffering of the world. The grace to feel God's emotions about the world I live in. The grace to bring the suffering of the world to Jesus on the cross. Uh, this, this week can be very challenging, more for some than others, because I think if we're honest, if we moved to the lovely suburbs, there is something in us that desires to protect ourselves, to maybe at least control the amount of suffering that uh, we 
are exposed to, that our families are exposed to, to the chaos in the world, there is kind of a self-protection just in the choices that we make. And of course, if you're a parent, you realize like this is not a bad instinct. Uh, we, we, we do want to care for our children and protect them. Uh, but it, it does mean, I think, that perhaps as suburbanites, we have um, almost a fear of kind of what's out there in the big bad world. And this is an invitation to start bringing those impulses for self-protection um, to the Lord, to start talking to about him, to talking about them uh, to the Lord. And of course, you don't have to live in the suburbs very long to know that we can't actually run away from the sin in the world. It's, it's here. It follows us because there are people here. And that tends to be the, the, uh, the impetus for most of the suffering in the world is usually the things that we do to mess things up. Uh, the second thing that makes it difficult for ent to enter into the work of this week is just how hard it is to actually get information about what's going on in the world. Um, I say this because if you watch the news, you will get some information, but probably with what a, with a slant, right? So they want you to, they want to shape your empathy probably towards their political preferences, right? And it can go either way. Um, it's hard when you're just trying to like find out what's going on in the world to say like, are you trying to manipulate me in the way you're showing me this? Or are you really trying to make uh, known some kind of suffering in the world? So that, that creates, I think, a real, a real challenge for us. Uh, it's just not as simple as like watching the news at night to figure out what's going on in the world. So I do have a few suggestions for you. Uh, and the first is just an attitude, just to be open, to let yourself be touched and affected, touched emotionally by the suffering in the world. Um, if you do want to venture into the news, probably Facebook would not be your best source of news. Probably Instagram, not your best source of news. Um, you might try BBC. They also have their political things, but at least they're someone else's political things <laughs> instead of our political things. So it might, and they are, I don't know, because they once tried to colonize the entire world. Sometimes they're just a little more interested in what's going on in some far-flung parts of the world. Um, some of their former colonies, they just have a little more interest in that. This may sound a little out there. Al Jazeera even can be an interesting source of news because, again, they just have a totally different take on things. So that's one thing that you can do to open yourself to some sense of what's going on in the world. Um, but it might be that you want to do something more practical. So instead of just getting information to get just a little bit closer. And my suggestion to you um, would be to just take stock of your neighborhood and your workplace, um, especially if you have someone living in your neighborhood that uh, was not born in the United States. So they're an immigrant, they have some sort of, you know, what, whatever their particular status is, you know, they, they've come to the United States looking for a new life. And um, maybe just to be open to saying, hey, could you tell me your story? Sometimes I think it's in hearing those very personal stories that are in, embodied in an actual person's life that starts to open us up to new ways of encountering um, the, the brokenness in the world. And the nice thing about this is you don't actually have to fix anything. All you have to do is listen. And then you bring that into your prayer and you start 
just pondering how do I feel about this and then how does God feel about this? And you can also do, uh, if you're open, you might be surprised what happens. Um, if you if you need a place to meet people you wouldn't normally meet, you might try the Starbucks in downtown Wheaton. Um, it's, it's sort of like in the trail of the pads um, movement. And so people who have been one place and are going to another place to spend the night, oftentimes they stop at that Starbucks. So for example, there was a, a woman sitting on the bench when I was there this weekend and, um, you know, she hit me up for some money, and I had a dollar in my pocket. I gave it to her, and uh, but I didn't leave it at that transaction. I said, I've seen you around, but I don't know your name. She said, oh, my name is Peaches. So I don't know if I'll get another opportunity to talk to Peaches. But I bet you if I get involved in a conversation with Peaches that it's going to expand my sense of what's going on for her, and it's going to give me an opportunity to feel um, something of God's heart. Um, I want to warn you, sometimes crazy things happen when you indicate to the Lord that you are open to such experiences. Um, it was last winter, my daughter Karis and I were at the Bricks, next to the Starbucks, the pizza place, and as we were sitting there, um, I noticed this uh, very, um, it was cold, and he was very, he was not dressed warmly. He looked to be maybe in his 50s, Asian descent of some kind, and I could tell that he was trying to get some kind of help from a group of girls that was sitting at the table. And as soon as I, I saw him, I had this kind of sinking feeling like, oh, if I get involved in this, you know, what am I going to have to do? Does he have a place to stay? Is that going to all become my responsibility? And I had that, that just kind of like, dread, you know, like, oh, uh, I don't want to get involved in this. And it's like, what kind of deacon are you, you know? <laughs> so it was just that kind of openness, like, Lord, I want to tell you, honestly, I'm a little afraid that this could become like a big deal and overwhelm me, but like, I'm just, I'm just open. So he leaves, we pay our bill, we leave. He's headed down the, down the street, his back is towards us. And um, I just had this little prayer, you know, Lord, if you want me to do anything, if he turns around, I will respond. Sure enough, he turned around, started walking towards us. I'm sure, Chris, you remember this very vividly. And um, he, he had his cell phone. It was very broken English. And he just kept saying, I'm, I want to go back to Vietnam. I want to go back to Vietnam. And he tried to explain to us what was going on. And he needed some money for a, car, for a tow truck or something like that. And it was one of those, you know, you're, like, not supposed to, like, give your money to, like, beggars on the street. I'm like, you know, I don't think it's really going to make that big of a difference in this person's life. So I just, like, opened my wallet, gave him all my cash, which was actually a little more than I usually had. And um, I said, can I pray for you? So we kind of stepped out of the wind. We, we prayed for him, and, and, and he, he said, I'm, I'm a Catholic, and he crossed himself. And we prayed for him, and he cried, and then we got in the car, and then we cried. Um, because it touched us. We, we allowed ourselves to be touched by his story, by his suffering. We just did our little part. You know, I don't know what happened to him. He actually, like, ran down the street like a, a jackrabbit. That's the only thing I can explain. I have never seen a human being in flimsy little shoes dash down the street at such a speed. 
Um, but that was all I was supposed to do. So if you're open, that might be part of your prayer experience this week. It's not just like what you're doing in your quiet time, but those kinds of things might become your background prayer. Um, one of the assignments this week is to read uh, chapter 4 from Finding God in All Things, and there's an interesting example similar here. This is on page 59, um, speaking about uh, someone who is, who is asking for this affective emotional change in their response to suffering in the world. And he says, uh, one evening when she had returned from pastoral work in a very poor slum, she began to pray and was overcome with an enormous sadness and began to sob from the bottom of her heart. It was as if, as if she felt deep inside her the sobbing words, this is not the way it should be. The silence in the, in the room was palpable. In the hush, I asked her if she would want to have such experiences again. She said she would, but not as a steady diet. Her experience sounds similar to my own, and, experience, and then he relates his experience. He says, such experiences give us some idea of how God reacts to the social injustices and social horrors inflicted on the majority of people in this universe which God creates to invite all persons into the community of life, the life of the Trinity. Um, so this is just a very different way to pray with our, our encounters of suffering in the world and to really ask God, how are you feeling? To be willing to feel with God his, um, his sense of desire about the world. So don't be worried about solving problems or blaming people for these problems, uh, but use your feelings to pray and be honest about them. If you feel overwhelmed or guilty or angry or disgusted or compassionate, there's no feeling that's like off limits. Bring those feelings into your prayer. All right, um, I want to say just a little bit about changing images of God, and you'll see right away how this is um, connected, I hope. We're dealing with images of ourself, of God, and others, and they're all deeply connected. And paying attention to how these images of self, God, and others uh, influence our spiritual journey is important here. Um, here's some examples of some uh, images of God that you may get in touch with. That in your head, you know this isn't true, but in your heart, this is how you feel it. You might experience, you might uh, think of God as a Santa Claus, like God is a mysterious gift giver, and prayer is merely petition, just stuff we ask for, like our Christmas list when we're children. Maybe God is a firefighter. God shows up when I am in extreme need. Uh, prayer is merely a desperate supplication. Maybe God is the policeman. God shows up to police the wrongdoings, the sins of others and myself. Prayer is either punitive of others or hesitantly reflective of myself. Uh, God is the vending machine. For some reason, this is the one I encounter the most, I think because I'm involved in healing ministry. And often there's like this new healing ministry thing that comes down the pike. And if you just like push the right buttons, you will get your healing. Um, 
So God is the vending machine. God is mechanical and predictable. I put in the prayer, the good deed, the pious act, and out comes the graces, the gifts, and the benefits. Of God as an aloof king, God is expansive, powerful, but has no genuine interest in me. Prayer is an attempt to sing and dance, to get on God's good side for possible benefits. And God is judge. Um, God tells me whether or not I'm living up to the ideal Christian standards. Prayer involves defending myself and trying to put my best self forward. Um, the reason this fits with what we're doing this week is that I think we notice when we start looking at the world around us, our attitudes. Um, if you get really angry, you want someone to pay for what's happening, um, maybe you judge people for like, you know, why don't you just get a job? You know, tell poor peaches, you know, like, why don't you just get a job? Um, like the rest of us, uh, that kind of judgmental attitude towards others. Usually if you have a judgmental attitude towards others, you also have it towards yourself, and you think that God is judging you and them all the time. So these things shine a light on one another. So as you start praying with the suffering that's in the world, and you realize, ooh, that's kind of an attitude I didn't know I had, you may find that it not only reflects how you see other people, but how you see God and how you see yourself. Um, so this, this sense of where we're going, um, if you have a punitive image of God, it tends to also equate with a deflated or an inflated sense of self and a, and a hostile sense of the world or others. Uh, there's an interesting... Um, assignment that young Jesuits get, and they, they give them something like $35, and they, like, drop them off for a month to just, like, make their way. So it means they have to ask for food, they have to ask for a place to live, and so they meet all these kinds of people in unscripted situations. And, of course, they see some horrible things, and then they also receive, like, such kindness and goodwill from strangers, whether they're Catholics or not. Um, and one of the reasons they do that is because they want them to have this really gritty experience of like, how do you really feel about other people? <laughs> um, do you trust them that God could use them to care for you? Or are you just there to like, you know, be the knight in shining armor to fix all their problems? You know, could you be on a, could you be in a mutual relationship with someone who is in need? Um, these experiences, even though they seem like they're like, I don't know, about social justice or some kind of, you know, uh, cause outside the self, they actually reflect very deeply upon our personal relationship with God. So this is where we hope that you're moving. Um, we're just sort of assuming that all of us come into this experience of prayer in one way or another with an impoverished view of God and self but that we're moving little by little to this experience of, of self as a sinner loved by a merciful God and moving towards this sense of self um, as beloved of, by the lover who is God. And all of these things have impacts not only on how we feel about ourselves and God, but also how we feel about the world. We'll post this for you for later. Um, just a sense of where we're going. Uh, Ignatius talked about God as a patient teacher. 
um, that God is benevolent and merciful, desiring to teach me God's ways. Prayer involves conversation, learning, and growth. And then as we continue to move forward in the spiritual exercises, to experience uh, God as love loving, as love who loves, active love, uh, God's unconditional love, and as prayer as loving union. So that's just kind of where we're going. All right, so I want to transition now to George, who has a few things to um, share with us and I think a concluding prayer experience. Uh, while he's coming up, uh, the examen that uh, Adam led us in tonight is, is a new one for uh, this week. So you'll find that in your uh, prayer resource section on page 11. Uh, all the details are there for you. My technology may fail me here. Let's see. I never know what to think when uh, Val contacts me and says... Yeah, we're talking about sin in the world. You really have to speak. Um, but, uh, yeah, after 30 years in the military, uh, I guess I, I've been around to a lot of places in the world, and, you know, it's usually not the tourist places, so I get to see places that are really struggling, states that are failing or failed states, states that do not work like ours works, where everything works by bribe and corruption. Um, and it's, it's hard to get your head around. Um, you know, Val is talking about opening yourself up. Most military people, police, firefighters and stuff survive by shutting themselves down, right? They compartmentalize and it's just a survival instinct because when you open yourself up to feel these things, you just get overwhelmed. You know, you don't know what to do. It's beyond your capacity. Um, so it's, it's going to be a, a bit of a challenging week if you really open yourself up. Now, we're not going to stop after this week, okay? So we will move on. And um, so good to know. Keep that in, in your head. Um, like I say, a, a lot of experience with war, a lot of experience with terrorism, you know, people blowing things up. It's just hard to get your head around. I got sent to, uh, kind of by default, to the Marine Corps Counterterrorism School. And, uh, you know, I think I'm the only chaplain to ever go through the school. Uh, I think that's because our battalion needed to send somebody and everybody else was busy. But it was very educational, and it will make you paranoid. It will make you extremely paranoid. Then I did two years in the Persian Gulf, and you know I went to briefings every other day on what was going on. We were responsible for 23 countries around uh, the Gulf, which is a lot of territory, and there's a lot going on. And you know, it's like the news. None of the good stuff ever makes it into the news, right? It's always who blew who up and who killed who and who did what to whom and um, and it does weigh on you. It does weigh on you. Um, and, you know, the thing about things like terrorism, and you can put up uh, the, the bomb slide or whatever, the, thing, the things about terrorism is, you know, the main weapon of terrorism. It's the same. It's the press. You know, the devices that are used vary, but the goal is to be as outrageous and gory as possible to spread that terror by means of the press and um, 
And because it does hit our hearts when we see these things. It's supposed to. I think God made us purposely that when these things come to us, they're like an impact. It's like you get punched when you see these things. And that's the right way to be. It's the right way to be. It just hurts. Um, I got sent to Yemen for the bombing of the coal, as a matter of fact, which was October 12th in 2000. So I was in Yemen. If you want, where were you in October 2000? I was in Yemen. Um, and, you know, I, I just remember leaving that place thinking Yemen is like a place, it's like the Old West with an Arab theme. You know, I mean, I stayed in a hotel in Aden, and I remember the maitre d', maitre d', yeah, I guess so, had a pistol stuck in his belt. He had one of those, you know, they all have the little, the little dagger that they, the Yemenis all wear these daggers. But, uh, but he had a big old pistol. When was the last time you stayed at a hotel that, the, you know, had a whole, you know, the diplomats that came in from the tribes had, you know, guys with machine guns with them in the elevators. I mean, it, that's a lot what the world is like, and it's, it's sad. Drugs, uh, human trafficking. Yemen has the privilege of having one million landmines buried all over in the sand, blowing up people indiscriminately. If you walk through town, you can find little kids missing limbs and, you know, one million. I mean, that's the number. And, you know, we don't ever read about, we send groups of people trained to defuse landmines to places like Yemen to teach people, it's low-tech work, to teach people how to defuse landmines. Um, I mean, these are good things that we actually do. If there wasn't sin in the world, we, won't, we wouldn't need a military, right? You know, we wouldn't need a police force. There's sin in the world, that's, there is. I put up, I put up gangs, you know, okay, MS-13. The, the whole world is divided up tribally and in gangs. I mean, that's the way things really operate. When, when I was serving at Marine Corps boot camp, every year they brought in police officers from the West Coast and the East Coast to do what? To brief us on gangs. So we could see the tattoos and all the marks and the gang signs and all that and know who was who because when you put them in the same company, you have problems, right? But we, we needed to take them beyond that to get them past the gang. We have lots of former gangbangers in the, in the Marine Corps, but we wanted to know who they were before we threw them together. Um, but the world works on gangs and tribes and, you know, I mean, there's Arab proverbs that say, me and my brother against my cousin, me, my brother, and my cousin against the other tribe, me, my brother, my cousin, and the near tribe against the far tribe. I mean, that's the way it works. I mean, and maybe I'm just a little jaded. I don't want to take you too far down that path. Um, but I put the landmines up here. I hate landmines personally. Um, but I'm also, I mean, I'm troubled over our world. We take almost anything good and turn it into a weapon. We weaponize all kinds of things. When I got assigned to go to the Middle East, I had to start a series of anthrax shots. All right? It's a six-shot series, just so you, you know, can't be killed by the chemical weapon anthrax. Um, yeah, the shots were terrible, I just want to say. 
You know, it's like they gave me the shot. I said, that wasn't so bad. Was just wait. Yeah. Six times. Ugh. You know, I've been invited to pray over missiles. You know, we finished a new intercontinental ballistic missile program on the West Coast, and they, they were having a big ceremony. It's a big deal. I mean, huge money involved and everything. These are nuclear missiles capable of carrying like 10 warheads, each with, you know, nuclear tipped. Yeah. You know, it's like, really, you want me to pray over this? Yeah. We have a long tradition of praying over stuff in the Navy, you know. And what do you pray? I pray for the wisdom to never have to use the thing, all right? I mean, uh, what else can you pray? Good job, you know, let's use this missile. That's, it's, it's just so interesting that we can, you know, build these weapons and use our science, but we can never use our science to answer the question, when is it right to use them? You know. The last thing I'll put up, I managed to get through the pretty much 30 years of you know, the military, with really without shedding a tear. You know, my last job is, was, um, every, the chaplains that worked at Arlington worked for me, so I would go over to Arlington, the cemetery, all the time, and when there were big, big uh, funerals, I had to do them, but <laughs> it's a place where I don't, uh, it's just the magnitude of standing there and seeing all those headstones is kind of overwhelming to me, you know. Uh, not everybody in there died in battle, but a lot did. Um, and you just stand there. It's one of the few places where people kind of whisper. Have you noticed that in, in big churches, people kind of whisper when they're in the sanctuary? And this is another place where people, even teenagers mostly, kind of tiptoe around and whisper, which I think is a good thing. At least shows that there is some... I know there's something alive left. I just think of all the pain and suffering when I see these. And, and to me, it does. It reflects a lot about what our world is really like. If you're ever looking for a quiet place to meditate, you can't get away, go to a cemetery. I, I, I tell people that I do direction with all the time. You usually will not be bothered. And it's a sobering place to take a walk. Um, so, uh, you know, I, if we want to bring it a little closer to home, I could say one, one last thing. Uh, my wife went and saw the movie Gosnell. I didn't see it yet, you know, about abortion. Um, and I saw a pie chart the other day. And I was actually trying to click a slide up. My incompetence with the slides betrays me here. But there was a pie chart of... All the deaths in war, and it listed the different wars, and they were each parts of the pie. And then it said deaths in the United States from abortion. All the deaths in war were about this much of the pie chart. And all the deaths from abortion in our country made up the remaining part of the pie chart. I was stunned. I was stunned. It's closer to home than we think. So it's going to be a hard week in thinking about these things. Um, but I, I, I say let yourself be open and feel it. It will take you down. Um, but up seems so much better when you've been down. You know? So go ahead and do these things. Watch the news. 
you know, let yourself be, you know, don't change the channel, you know, go watch some rerun. Just try and take it in a little bit and see the world that we live in. And, and we are part of that world. And we've been, we've been wonderfully delivered out of it. So we're going to do a uh, Lexio Divina here, divine reading. So get comfortable. I know we've done a couple of things already. And, and it's a hard one. I'll just warn you, it's a hard one. You know, Paul writes the book of Romans, and he's talking about righteousness, right? And in the first chapter, he talks about the righteousness, uh, the unrighteousness of the pagans. In the second chapter, he talks about the unrighteousness of the Jews. And in the third chapter, he kind of sums up the unrighteousness or the sin of the world. I couldn't pick any other passage. I mean, it just kind of spoke to me. But it's not, these are not happy words. And he's quoting, this is in Romans 3, a few verses in Romans 3. They're all quotes from the Old Testament. He goes from various Psalms and Isaiah, and he tells you the sin of the world. So just sit back. It's, a, it's not a happy one, but we need to meditate on it together. So make yourself comfortable. I'll read it four times. You know, and the first time through, just let whatever hits you hit you and hang on to it. I'll read it again. You know, and you can think, process, work up your questions. I'll read it again. You can ask your questions to the Lord. And then we'll just sit with it for a few minutes. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their path are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Reading a second time. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. 
There is no fear of God before their eyes. After this next reading, offer your prayers to God. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And after this last reading, just sit quietly with it. Try to turn off the analysis. And if you have something you want to write in your journal, go ahead and do that. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. 
There is no fear of God before their eyes. Amen.